Hey, and welcome to the first episode of a brand new podcast that has a completely different and refreshing take on technology and the future. My name is Chris, and together along with my business partner, Richard, we're gonna be talking about everything tech in the future, ranging from AI to VR to space travel to energy and robots and everything and anything that you can imagine in between. Now, we know people hate ad breaks and podcasts, so we're gonna get the ad right out of the way so we can dive into an hour and a half of a great conversation. This content is brought to you by Objective Reality, conversational AI that gives reality a voice, so no political correctness, just an AI that tells it like it really is. Check it out at objectivereality.ai. So uh, Dermasensor, it's kind of exciting. They got FDA approval for uh, an AI skin cancer detector. Mm -hmm. As I get older, that's a big, bigger deal to me. Skin cancer detector. Yeah. That could be anything from just it's analyzing photos or it's using like a... Some, some kind of particular sensor array? I believe it's probably mostly software, right? It's all a recognition model. Okay. And um, I've seen the apps before. I think I might have used one, but I know uh, it's on iOS. I think Android might have it. Same thing, you upload a picture and it uses AI to detect it. Yeah. Uh, I doubt it'll replace doctors right okay. now because they have to hold the sensor and do the same thing. So why do you need a device instead of just a smartphone? Yeah, FDA probably. I okay. imagine there's Requires a lot of regulation. That. There might also be some hardware acceleration in, okay. in the, you know, it's, I'll bet it's on edge processing, meaning, yeah. meaning the model is actually on the hardware mm -hmm. that detects it. I'm an investor in a company called AI Optics. Okay. And same thing for retina scans. Mm. So AI retina scans. And I don't know if you've had been to an eye doctor and they pay a little extra, you get the uh, photo of the back of your eye. And from that, they can detect early diabetes, wow. uh, all kinds of things. I mean, exciting, you know, like we always say. Yeah, good thing for the general public, obviously. Uh, is the medical establishment then going to be excited about this? How much of this gets outsourced to one office like somewhere? <laughs> Great question. And there's like a secretary that uploads and does the scan, you know what I mean? I think eventually someone has a model, I can't remember the name of the company, but they have a model where they basically have a pod. You know CVS's Minute Clinics? Yeah, yeah. They basically have a pod version of that. So they drop this thing off. I don't know what real estate they use. They they put this down. It's, it's not in reality yet. It's conceptual, but I think they've raised funds. You go into this pod, the tool drawers slide out, you do yourself, it all goes. So there's like no human involved. Interesting. So that's going to be an underlying theme probably throughout this podcast and, and society-wide coming up. Like to what extent is AI going to be a positive thing for the job market? And to what extent is it not? Now, you and I have talked about this a little bit, so I'll just frame this a little bit. Some people are out there saying there was the Industrial Revolution and Yes, it disrupted jobs, but it created more jobs than it killed. And I see people say we're sort of in a similar moment now. And I think you disagree with that a little bit. Is that right? I do. I, um, you know, I can make that argument, but the Industrial Revolution, you know, we had decades, you know, maybe generation or two to absorb that change. Yeah. This change come, is coming in the next this year, three to five years. Okay. I think uh, just in the last couple of days, the World Economic Forum, no, the IMF uh, came out and said 40% of jobs 
are going to be seriously affected. In how many years? What was the time? In five. In five years? Five years. Okay. 40%. And if you think about the Great Depression, that was like 25% unemployment. Okay. So 50% (laughs) worse. Um, So is it really the matter, is the main thing for you then, looking at this, just a matter of timing? Like we just... It, you have to have more time to adapt, or is it? Does the adaptation not really even matter, just due to the nature of the yeah, technology? That's a great question. Yeah, I don't know the answer. You know, coming back to the doctors, uh, Google's AIM model, Amy, AI, oh yeah, right, came out, and shocking news there is that it outperformed doctors, which is getting less and less surprising these days. Right on everything, like empathy. Oh. Collecting patient information, uh-huh. diagnosis, now e- everything, prognosis, empathy. Everything. Though, the, the, as far as I understand, was this basically a chat interface, and people were kind of describing their symptoms? Not like there was a robot there. No, 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 no. Yeah. And it was empathetic. No, it's like a Turing test. It's a okay. you know, black box. So real clinicians uh, behind the scenes. Okay, Amy behind the scenes. Yes, people. Uh, it was like 149, uh, an in of 149 samples. Uh-huh. Um. But what was really interesting to me, unlike what we saw with um, kind of the chess world over the last 10, 15 years, where there's been this movement where people with computers outperform computers alone. Mm. Computers now can beat people. That's interesting. Right? But there's this kind of hybrid chess model going on. Amy, Google's doctor, if you had clinicians help Amy, Mm -hmm. it did worse. Hmm. So it's like, uh, and it makes me think about, I'd like to hear your take, but it makes me think about, you know, we talk about self-driving cars. There'll probably be a push by insurance companies to make that happen because there'll be fewer accidents, right? Right. So all of a sudden, our liberty, if you will, to drive may be taken. And we might drive medicine the same way, Uh right? If if I'm going to get my skin cancer detection more accurately from a device. Yeah. And it's cheaper for one, for putting cost aside. Yeah. Like the thing with medicine, it's like, you know, to save lives, you'll pay almost any cost. Yeah. So are we going to be driven to getting rid of doctors? Right. There's so much to unpack in just this. I'll, I'll bring this one thing up on the self-driving car thing, and then we'll apply it to the medical field. Uh, you know, so, so how do you program the self-driving car to preserve life? For instance, there's an old lady walking across. And there's some citizens over here, and it's there's someone is going to get crashed into. That's just how this scenario is played out. And who do you prioritize? Well, yeah. the old lady doesn't have as long to live. Like somebody is back there making decisions about how do we uh, program this. Now you apply that to the medical field. So you take the person out, and you're losing a lot of uh, judgments that you know all across the country or, or the world. There's going to be various doctors with different experience. And you're just homogenizing everything, you know, to the extent that somebody's using a particular system, that healthcare system is then kind of has that they have one opinion about it. Taking out the human factor, aside from like, hey, it's fun to drive. Like some people just like to drive. Right. Other people are like, great, I'll, I'll pull out the laptop. But there's that there's that aspect. You know, it means a lot of different things to say we're going to take the human out of the equation. Yeah, no, it, it does. It's I, do, I don't know what to make of it. Yeah, what's that called? The trolley car problem? Right. There's like so that many of these for the self-driving. Yeah. Yeah. So then that comes down to how that model is trained to make the decisions, mm-hmm. and what is that a utilitarian measure? Do I sacrifice an old person for a young person? Right. You know, that's uh, and that comes down to you know more philosophical question. And I don't like the angle, honestly, when I hear you talking about it, of, of this the safety angle. Like it's gonna be safer if nobody I mean, 
going going on a plane like that's that could be unsafe it probably won't be but it, i mean it could be planes have crashed or whatever you know like when you take away when you just look through everything through the lens of safety oh, then what you. can you do you know like uh, you suck all the fun out of life if uh, that's the only thing you care about old people you know we i've experienced this with a grandmother i've experienced this with friends parents and grandparents we have this like you know we'll take them out of their home and we'll push them away in a little institution. We'll say they're safer, so much safer. It's so much better for them. Yeah. What I've seen, and I'll bet you the studies bear this out. I really haven't researched it. Is they go downhill fast, mm. right? Mm-hmm. You leave your familiar surroundings. You like your pattern and your routine. Maybe you've lost half your mind, but still, the other half. <laughs> this is the home I know. This is the place. Right. And this this effort towards safety you know, is tenuous, I think. Yeah. I agree with you, I think. And then who defines what is safe? I mean, this is a this is a whole can of worms here. Yeah. But it's important for people to understand that because so, – so I'll segue off of that into this. I was going to ask you about this. Is it possible in your point from your perspective to have a neutral AI system, an AI that's completely neutral – is that even a possible thing? Because I think a lot of people, when they think of AI, they, they probably do think that people are building it to be a neutral thing, to not have, you know, um, to not sway people. Or But but is that even possible? I think we'd have to uh, define neutral, right? If you train what I, what I the analogy I make is if I, if I have a, a child and I'm raising a child because I analogize training a, a neural net to training a child's brain, if that child grows up in, you know, an extreme environment, you know, maybe it's a hateful, racist environment, or maybe it's a, uh, you know, a very liberal, you know, climate change, Greenpeace type of environment. That child will have that information more heavily weighted in its neurons mm-hmm. than the other information. Right. And so the question, and the way we train our models right now is we train them on corpus of the internet, mm-hmm. right? And we all know when you stare at the internet, there's a lot of bad information, you right. know, one way or the other. And the question is, how do you discern what's real mm-hmm. from bias and people's, you know, random rants and musings? Yeah. And and the other, I think, obvious component is, like, somebody is behind every system that's created. And I, I've – actually, I think I've had this argument in the comment section of some place online. And people are like, AI is – it doesn't take an opinion. It doesn't have a stance. But – <laughs> and a lot of AI companies will market themselves as basically being neutral, but that could never, ever be the case. Just like I don't think you could have like a neutral education either. You know, somebody has put the curriculum together and framing is everything. What you choose to put in or leave out of an answer is everything. I agree. And somebody has made those decisions for how that AI is going to work. When when I was younger, you know, like you said, someone's deciding what goes into that answer. When I was younger, it was a kind of a revelation to find you can have a news source that is maybe factually correct, but editorializing what is said, what facts are put in, makes all the difference, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So it can be actually, it can be based on facts, but it can still be biased and wrong. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Let's, let's start with this because this is our first podcast episode. If you don't mind, I know you've heard this a lot and we've talked about it a lot, but um, I do want to talk a little bit about this idea of objective reality and limits, because I think from from my perspective, I've been very interested over the years in looking at what are the fundamental limits of reality as we know them, as we can discern them, 
the limits that no human or no not even all of humanity as a civilization, if they all got along real well together, used uh, the resources available not only on our planet but maybe in the galaxy, let's say, to the utmost potential. No alien, you know, civilization that's subject to the same, you know, hypothetical alien civilization that has to live with the same physics as us. And no AGI even that humanity gives birth to or some other civilization could potentially give birth to, let's say, just hypothetically. What are the limits that nobody can change? And I do think that they're there. I I personally think that they exist. Now, this is uh, where I'll probably differentiate myself from a lot of other people out there, especially in the tech space, especially people who consider themselves innovators. Um, But I'll give the example, I think, the most basic one that you could come up with is the speed of lightning. You have pushed back on this before. You're like, here's all the ways where we could push back on that. So in my view, there are limits, and I can link in the show notes uh, to a paper that talks about these. But but there's limits, and then there's also the, the fundamental limits, and then effective limits, in my point of view, where you know you can you can envision something, but you can't actualize it. Okay, well that's still a limit because you can't do it, even though you can think it up, like a think of a way to do it. You could think of a way to travel faster than the speed of light, but you're not actually able to do it given the current resources. And it's possible that that's never going to happen. But um, some people will say, no, we'll do that. So we can have this whole conversation. But I think as we're talking about what is true and what is real, this is always kind of my starting place. Yeah. So from my perspective, I'm more of a hands-on functional guy. It's It comes up, you mentioned innovators. You know, it comes up, I'm, an, I'm a serial entrepreneur and limits come up all the time. You know, that's what thinking outside the box and not being limited. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this is stopping short of your, like, there are some limits out there, yeah. but the effect of limits versus what are not limits, you know, mm-hmm. Musk's deciding to launch the biggest rocket in history of mankind by a private company. One first, that's only been relegated to governments in the past uh, Two, deciding it's going to be reusable mm-hmm. land itself, you know, all crazy talk 10 years ago. Sure. Nobody would not even possible ever. Never. Yeah. We're limited. Physics can't allow this. It's not going to happen. And you know, his point is, let's go back to physics, first principles, and right. does it defy it? Not really. Okay, well, then it's just an engineering challenge. Right. So if it's not really a limit. so But knowing that, on the other hand, you know, you, you if there is a limit and you chase, you're sitting there trying to go past it and you can never do it, you've wasted all your time. Yes. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm probably not the right guy to uh, to debate about is, is the speed of light really, really a boundary. Yeah. You know, we have Einstein's quantum entanglement is it really that we can't send information past the speed of light you know yes it's 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 deeper and i'm probably it is and it's really interesting and just for the podcast listeners um i just want to point out you could envision uh, a civilization that maybe could grow to be able to utilize the full available resources of the whole galaxy and i think science fiction has made this all seem dyson sphere do it yeah so doable And in in reality, um, there's lots of, you know, personal, psychological, societal, you know, civilizational things that would have to fall into place uh, that may be, you know, so unable to be overcome to get to a a place like that on top of the technological advancements. Um, And and I'll just say, too, like nobody chose to be born. Nobody uh, was there at the beginning of of the universe. No one's going to be there at the end of the universe. Um, You know, like humans... I feel like are inherently limited. Now, that doesn't mean, from my perspective, that we have to dream small. Like, I think it's important, like a Musk, to dream big and to to dream about things 
that uh, were previously, you know, like nobody thought of or, or thought was crazy. I acknowledge that. And I think that's very important. I do also think, though, that, you know, there's two sides to that coin. Like you could misallocate some resources chasing what I like to call a, a, an alchemy trap, you know, where, you know, the alchemists of old thought, hey, we can turn lead into gold. And that that was not actually something that could happen. So I think there's a, a lot of things that people can envision or want. Here's the key thing, too. They want to have happen and feel like it's just a matter of enough willpower, time, yeah. technology. And, and, and then you get into just because you can doesn't mean you should. So some things certainly are thresholds. And I think there's value in in going past certain thresholds. You know, so there's limits and there's thresholds and you can cross. If you can cross it, it's not a limit. It's a threshold. And there's a lot of things that we can, uh, as, as humans, through technology, willpower, time, cross. But you do get into that realm of should we? This is the transhumanism debate. There's there's a lot of areas, and AI plays into this for sure. Um, so what what's your take on? So yeah. the the should we could we what people want reminds me of an interesting study of life extension. So mm. if you file Ray, Ray Kurzweil, um, he's the guy who basically he didn't coin. I think um, um, Vince can't remember his name coined the term singularity, but mm-hmm. uh, Kurzweil kind of popularized it with one of uh, two of his books. One of his books. He's into kind of radical life extension. It's interesting. There's this point of this kind of escape velocity where we gain a year of life for every every year we gain an extra year of life. So every you know calendar year, our technology gets better such that we gain an extra year of life. Yeah. Once we get that point, we escape and we're quote unquote immortal. Right. That's yeah. their that's their take. What's interesting about that is kind of the experts in the field. The date that they said this would happen corresponded to the time they were about 70 years old. Hmm. So if they were a 25-year-old expert in the field, hmm. um, you know, they would mm-hmm. say it's here and this it's going to happen in the next 40 years. If they yeah. were 50, it's going to happen in the next 20 years. Yeah. So it's they want it so bad for their own lives. Right. So not getting into the, the uh, um, potential, you know, success of the endeavor. I think it's interesting. People definitely want things. That's, that is a motivator. Right, maybe absolutely the research, but uh, it also probably clouds reality. Yeah, speaking of bias, I would I would definitely think so uh, because here we find ourselves and you know on this planet in this neighborhood of space, and you know is there a reason for that or are we completely insignificant? You know, these are all the big questions that rattle around in my head all the time. And, 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 and your take on these things, not you personally, but I mean, just a person's view on whether or not there's even objective reality, uh, or if anything is truly possible, but, but those are the things they matter, like, in, and they do eventually matter to your daily life and the way that you're going to end up proceeding, like hopefully or without hope or, um, you know, like I, I think, I think it's, that's yeah. why I think about these things in terms of technology, the tech I choose to use and want to use, you know, like the life extension thing. Assuming that was available to you, would you do it? Well, no, I take, you know, do- a dozen supplements a day, right? So in that way, I'm using modern chemistry for a better living. How far I would go, you know, I guess that has to be seen and I've thought some about it, but uh, I'm probably more of a repair rather than improve mm. person. Yeah. So I will probably like take retina surgery if I'm going blind to fix it. Yeah. Then I will take artificial eyeballs that let me see, you know, 100x optical zoom. Yeah. Right? That's probably my line and you know, there's some people 
you know, I say the Amish drew their line at, you know, 1900s technology or 1850 mm-hmm. or whatever it is. And I think everybody, especially with the rapid increase, you know, this exponential increase in technology, AI in particular, we're going to have to, we're going to have to choose a line. And maybe not. Maybe some people will just adopt everything willy-nilly, you know, and that's their right, mm-hmm. I suppose. Uh, but I think a lot of people will draw lines. I think we do that now, you know. And and it's not only a line of using technology, but how mm-hmm. you use it. Mm-hmm. So I imagine most people here uh, listening, uh, you and I will will decide, okay, I will use my laptop for work. I won't use it to watch pornography or, you know, whatever it happens to be, I will choose to use technology in certain ways. Mm -hmm. And I think that's going to be more and more apropos, right? We're going to have to, we're going to have to think about that. Okay. Am I going to put on the, the the Zuckerberg made a, you know, or Apple pro vision is Uh, vision pro yeah, vision pro. Um, am I going to put that on and spend six hours a day in it? Yeah. You know, it's cause it's going to be compelling. It may not be now, but it's going to be compelling. Mm -hmm. And, people are going to have to make choices and some people won't, you know, some people will just kind of follow the flock. Yeah. And go or have the decisions them. made for them, I would say, or have the decisions you, made for them. You know, this, so <laughs> voting has consequences. Policymakers will make policies. A lot of people, I don't think any of this will be even on their radar and yeah. it'll sort of just happen to them. You know, I think, no, I think that's probably very true. But I'll, bet, I'll bet it's the vast majority. Is yeah. In that camp thinking people will say, uh, yeah, and and that I don't mean to denigrate uh, people who think about these topics. No, absolutely not. Saying. But but you know, so you said something really interesting a, a while back. You said repair versus enhance. Is that what you said? What was improve, the improve enhance? Improve. Yeah. Okay, uh, so augment. that brings <laughs> up the idea that you that a human even can be improved or enhanced. You know. And so now we're into like, what even is a human in the first place? Sure. Um, but I like what you're talking about, like the repair aspect that says there's something here worth repairing or worth, you know, versus like, you know, I'm going to try to architecturally change, you know, the fundamental aspect of my being. Um, and there, there's a big difference in that mentality. Now, Elon actually said something interesting. I, I'm pretty sure he said that he wouldn't want to live forever. I'm pretty sure I heard him say that. And I found that really interesting. Here's a guy who's experienced a lot in life, has a lot of resources, you know, can kind of do whatever he wants and and uh, does. He makes crazy things happen. But at some point, he's like, no, that's enough. And so your, your lifespan, yeah. that is a limit yeah. at yeah. the moment. It's the old Star Trek episode uh, where Q wants to mm. commit suicide. Right. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if anybody, you know, if you've seen that. But yeah. um, and to demonstrate what it was like. You know, he's they have a court trial, basically. Right. I think right. Picard. This must be next next generation episode, and uh, you know, it's it's a vague memory to me. But uh, he takes him to this like one gas station in the middle of, of a desert or something. Yeah. And he, he was trying to explain, I've done this for millions of years. There's nowhere to see. There's nothing to do. Mm-hmm. It's just I've seen it all. Right. And uh, yeah, I mean that comes back to your limit thing. Well, yeah. And so who's to say that a limit. Um, isn't a good thing and not something to quote unquote solve or blow past, but maybe it's, it's a use it as definition. Well, yeah, definition. It be, because if you know, for instance, that you're going to die, well, all of a sudden your life has a little bit more meaning because you have to make choices. Anybody who has to make a choice, I view as limited because you can't do it all. Mm-hmm. And you have a limited amount of time in the day and not to mention your whole life. So you have to choose 
from the second you wake up, you know, you're making choices. So, and that matters uh, if you're limited with your lifespan. If you had, you know, a thousand, even if you had a thousand years to live or 10,000 years, I mean, you're still limited. You're going to have to make as it comes down, as it wraps up, you know? Yeah. It's interesting. I, you know, we're wired such that we, you know, we can't comprehend certain things. Like we, we live in this scale. We don't live in the micro scale or the nano scale. We can't understand that. Like, yeah. I think Feynman, Richard Feynman talks about that. It's like, we, we, it just, it's so incomprehensible to us, the, the size and the level. Same thing once you get to the, you know, solar system or galactic scale, we, we just can't, we can't vision it. I imagine the same thing is true about time scales. Yeah. Like we can't, we can't imagine how fast nanoseconds are happening. Mm-hmm. Right. Probably also can't envision what a thousand years of life would be like. Right. Um, I think we have trouble thinking about a hundred years. Yeah. You know, you don't, I think most people don't think about it till close to the end. Mm-hmm. Um, unless they're told you have a few weeks. Right. Yeah. And then they try to suck the marrow out of life. No, it's, uh, the whole topic is a deep one and, and interesting. I, yeah. I wonder as we see humans, jobs that typically humans have done start to be done in, you know, automated AI, robotics, mm-hmm. whatever. I think that's, it's, it's going to be somewhat of a wake up call to people. It's like, what yeah. are you doing? You know, everybody, I think most people define themselves by what they do. Mm-hmm. When I say what they do, it's what they do for a living. I've thought for a long time that as technology evolves here, we're going to have this crisis because people won't know what, you know, what will they do with themselves. I've kind of pivoted a little bit because retirees seem to do pretty well, at least some of them, right? Mm-hmm. They find meaning, they volunteer, they, you know, they're, they, that, that there doesn't seem to be all of a sudden a crisis of suicide at 67. Yeah. Right. So, so it might, that might be okay. I, I don't know if you saw the news on, um, Figure. Figure is a robotics company making a humanoid bipedal robot. Mm-hmm. Um, they announced a contract with BMW. No, so BMW is their first customer that's going to take the robots and put them in their manufacturing. Oh. It's a huge. Interesting. That's a huge thing, right? That's funny that they means, didn't choose the Tesla robot, right? Well, yeah. I <laughs> Beamer mean, and I, Tesla. And if you think about it, uh, Musk has said <laughs> that uh, their uh, Optimus is going to be first used at Tesla. Yeah. And I think there there's some speculation that they're already starting to play with it to work on the 4680 batteries. Mm. Um, and so, you know, other companies, this is another thing with, with capitalism, with the way that, the way the system works is they they have to, you have to compete or die, right? And so- Classic so, capitalism. Classic capitalism. We'll have to get into that. Yeah. So, so let's talk about that. So, you know, Tesla is able to bring, you know- a person works 2,000 hours a year, basically. Um, Optimus can probably work 7,000 hours a year. Um, that's because it can do, you know, three-hour shifts. doesn't need it. three shifts, three eight-hour shifts. Yeah. It doesn't need vacation. Actually, it's not three hour, eight-hour shifts, by the way, because they need downtime for charging and maintenance. But regardless, it can work, what is that, three and a half times longer. Right. Um, ostensibly, Musk says it's going to cost less than... Uh, Model Three, mm-hmm. so you know maybe it's ten twenty thousand dollar robot, right? So you pay a person, you know whatever it is, forty eighty grand to work in an auto manufacturing environment, uh, forty to eighty thousand a year. 
you can buy a robot. Maybe it has a serviceable life of five years mm-hmm. at twenty grand. So that's four thousand dollars a year, right? For three and a half times more work, right? So let's divide four by three and a half, and you know whatever that is, that's like twelve, thirteen hundred versus forty to eighty. Yes. So your 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 labor cost structure drops by you know ninety percent, right? What what's that mean? So now if I'm another car manufacturer, I have to adopt that. Yeah. I don't have a choice. There's no, there's, there's not even like, we don't speculate right. what's right or wrong. It's like survival we're closed yeah. or we compete. And this is how it propagates throughout society then. And it propagates rapidly. It's like, yeah. you know, I watched the whole, as I look at uh, LED lights over here, I watched the whole LED, I was an early adopter of the LED lighting. Um, and the government, you know, was pushing to get rid of incandescent bulbs. And I'm like, that's the most ridiculous thing. You know, if LEDs are better, they will take off. Right. And there will be no stopping. And just like overnight, man, you see them at all the canopies at gas stations. You see, you know, because they cost 10% of the energy cost as incandescents. Right. And they last, whatever it is, 50,000 hours versus 2,000 hours. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, so it's ridiculous. So the same thing is going to happen here. Um, and then if we try to regulate it, uh, you know, other countries will do it. And the right. jobs will go, you know, the the money will go there. Yeah. So I, it's it's going to be rapid. And you know, then what, tell me what you think about the, the humanoid imp- so, robots. Well, you're where what you're driving at is then what what are the implications then for humans and like purpose, right? Because I think it was right Noah Yuval Harari. We disagree on almost everything. Him and I um, had mentioned that we're about to have a big class of useless people um, due to technology and and various factors. And I obviously bristle at that, you know, useless people like and now we're, we're starting to if you if you I feel like a lot of these topics can if you think about them from a certain perspective, it ends up dehumanizing people like what is a person? They're just their output. They're just, you know, all these different factors. Um, and once somebody is dehumanized or the population, then it's easy in your head to think, well, they're just useless. And then that doesn't lead to good things. Especially if you're coming from a Malthusian perspective and you think that there's nothing but limited resources and we need to depopulate, degrow, you know, the economy and stuff. So I don't like where that conversation heads. And I also don't like, you know, I think a lot of people, probably younger people, like more my age and even younger, they look at something like the Vision Pro coming out and what Meta's doing um, with their, uh, is it still called the Quest? What's their headset called? I don't yeah, even know. Yeah, I think it is. And, you know, and they see, okay, Pretty soon, that technology is going to be able to replicate a one-for-one, you know, very close to replicate, like, actual reality. So I can just live in there. Any world you want. Yeah, so as long as the robots are handling all the the hard work and everything, I'd be happy to take universal basic income and just plug in and and it'd be great. I think that's a naive way, honestly, to, to, to think about what you should be doing in the future. Like, is your, do you exist just for entertainment yeah, and well, pleasure. I, I have to quote a, a business partner. I had a business partner in France, and um, interesting guy. He was he was talking about he's amazed in France that he's older. He's probably 60, 65 now. Um, he's amazing that all you have to do is give them three hundred square feet and a video game, yeah. and they'll just exist. Yeah, you, you don't need. You know, I don't know. We were probably talking about universal basic income or welfare or something like that. He's like. They don't need a lot. You just, they're happy to just do that. Yeah. And then, you know, that takes you to Brave New World and, you know, 
medication and yeah. you know, what, what that's what, basically Ready Player One. What is the same thing? Yeah. yeah. What what people you know what is the point? Everybody's yes. got to find and if find that eventually. If you're just sitting there thinking that you're you're right to to strike on the difference between existing and living. <laughs> Because, yeah, I mean, if you frame it in those perspectives, like we're going to have a class of useless people, you know, because they're just existing. I I just I don't like that whole thing. So and and what's the alternative in the future? I mean, that's the real question. You know, if AI comes along and disrupts all all the knowledge work and robots embodied AI, let's call it, even though I'm not sure that's the best term, um, comes and disrupts like the actual labor market. You know, what's the alternative for just sitting there and plugging in? To basically a man-made yeah. matrix. Yeah, I mean, people people have to choose that or have it chosen for them. You, you know, I, I have a brother-in-law I have uh, discussions with, and I call it, the, you know, the dopamine squirt syndrome. It's mm-hmm. like if your whole existence is just to increase neurotransmitters, you can do that. You can eventually be that rat rat in the cage <laughs> that you know right. doses himself up to death. Right. So yeah, that's that's a, probably a pretty pretty important question that's going to come down the pike and i I think governments can't solve that right you know i think people have to solve that i actually the thought occurs to me as i hear you saying that you know we we talked about life expectancy and that being kind of an ultimate limit at the moment people want to extend it or whatever but have we already killed ourselves as humans if we just turn our our lives into just existing you know like you've already effectively Well, well here's the thing it's coming whether we like it or not right so the question becomes, how do we best channel our lives, you know, focus our efforts, mm-hmm. teach others? And speaking of the retirement analogy, you know, I, I, I was teaching a class on AI and it can come off as scary, right? Mm-hmm. It's like dystopian. My job's gone. What am I going to do? You know, people panic. What, what's going to happen? But on the other hand, you know, we used to work 55 hour weeks, 60 hour weeks, mm. You go back agrarian, you had ups and downs of, you know, intense labor and then no labor. And we seem to, at retirement, we seem to, some people seem to get along just fine mm-hmm. and some people don't. That's probably what it is. But I but I ask uh, students in the class, you know, would you like to make the same amount of money and drop from 40 hours a week to 25? Yeah. Everybody mm-hmm. wants that, right? And so, and then, you know... Some people do say, though, well, what would I do if I didn't work? Yeah. That's, well, that's what they'll have to find. And, and yeah. they might be able to, you can consider work. You know, you create something. Yeah. You know, you can still, do you have to have someone buy your work to be valuable? Pay right, you? Right, right. There's a question. Well, let's frame it like this. If you could, in the future, let's say everyone's, you know, lifestyles have really changed, but real France is there and virtual France is there. You brought up France. Would you prefer yeah. to go to real France and or would you would yeah, be just no, as happy that's an awesome to just question. slap on the Vision Pro? I think if all things are equal, right? Right now, if if I had to spend you know five grand and take a week or two, and I'm busy with everything else, but I could slap on the virtual, maybe I would do that. But there's definitely value in the real, and we see that in artwork. Mm-hmm. You can have a you can have a print of a Monet, and it's not as valuable. Why? It looks yeah. exactly the same. I mean, they have it down to where they can put brush strokes on the canvas sure, for you. Sure. So it can be virtually identical with nobody but, you know, fraud, forgery, forgery detectors to be able to tell. And yet, you know, 
people, and so it's not as valuable. Same with diamonds. I saw the first mm-hmm. advertisements for the uh, lab-grown diamonds. I don't know if you've right. seen that, but they're they're the same thing. Yeah, and yet. They are eight hundred dollars a carat. I don't know what a one carat diamond goes for yeah. these days. Maybe five thousand. Right. So they're less than a quarter of the cost. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're the same thing. Like so, there's some mental tie well, to authenticity. Yeah, I think a lot of that has to do with the rareness of something. Right. Gold tends to be more rare. Not everyone just has a vein of gold in the backyard. You know. So there's some value there. Not to mention gold has other inherent. Asshole, but that's a different conversation. But but like France, that's a real place. And since I'm well, here, same, same thing, the rarity. Yes, there's only one real. There's France, something about there's, there's only a one thousand ritual Francis. Same. It was only one Richard, only one Chris. Now you could make some sort of facsimile copy virtual version of us or something that maybe effectively looks and talks like us. It's trained on the AI, but but it's still derived out of, um, you know, like us. So like the Monet, there was a real Monet, and and because of his limitations. It's amazing that he's able to paint that picture that I can't. And I expect a robot to be able to do that that was trained on all of humanity to be able to do that. But I couldn't go do that. But Monet could do it. You know, there is something about um, the doing, being able to do something within the limits, your, your limits, and producing something that matters. That I think that, that, that you talk about what matters in life. I think there is something matters to that. Matters to whom? That's, that's great. I'm glad, I'm glad that you brought that up because – to be a person, to be a whom, to think therefore you are, you know, like that really is everything. And there's there's a difference between thinking and knowing. We talk about this often, right? I brought up, uh, is it Orson Welles? I think it was Welles who did the radio broadcast, mm-hmm. War right? War of the Worlds. And if you tune in at just the wrong time, you thought that mm-hmm. the aliens were invading. You didn't have the full knowledge. So your, your perception was uh, really a deception. Right. So so there is a buffer zone there um, where you, you know, maybe aren't it's it's almost like a, a you're living in the matrix without even realizing it. And it's not even digital. Right. Yeah. It doesn't take an actual matrix. Um, I, and I, I'll just mention this here because I don't know where else I'm going to mention it. But I would say that reality will always retain root no matter, you know, what simulation scenario there was, whether it was you know, something like from the matrix and the machines of enslaved humanity or humans chose to create their own matrix and, and plug in, you know, because. Or as Musk says, maybe we're in the simulation right now. Right. But the <laughs> simulation can always be disrupted by actual reality. You know, like the solar flare, for instance, wipe out the infrastructure, the servers. Right. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean it's going to, but it, it, it can. Mm-hmm. It has root. So if you follow the thread that um, the disruption is coming. Uh, to me, I, I've been thinking about this for maybe 10 years because, you know, Kurzweil introduced me to the exponential acceleration, you know, and I saw it since I was young. I've been I've been programming since, uh, you know, the 70s. I wonder, you know, you see this exponential increase coming. You know it's happening in the next five to 10 years, three, five, 10, whatever that number is. Uh, all of a sudden, it's a real thing for people who believe that that's happening. Mm -hmm. If you don't or you aren't aware of it, you're just going about your life. But if it is happening and this disruption is going to going to come, what you know, what tangible efforts what 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 do you what with your life, what do you want to do with that, you know, transition is going to happen. I'll I'll give you a I'll I'll lead the question here. What you have um, say you're a parent and you have kids do you recommend they go to college? You know what? Yeah. My son came home from, uh, he graduated with a stats degree 
And boom, he told me, it's really depressing. ChatGPT can do what I spent all that money for and all that time, and it can do it in minutes. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, so there's a lot here. I think that that's a big discussion right now, the whole college versus this. And then you put this overlay on it, you know, AI is coming for all the jobs or whatever. And I, I have seen a lot of people be like, um, hey, it's funny. Everyone in Silicon Valley said, learn to code. And now how's that going to work out? <laughs> and and now awesome. they're coming back with learn to, you know, learn a trade. If you run it forward far enough, you know, maybe plumbing and stuff becomes modular and a, a robot does come in yeah. and just, you know, or, yeah. or it's an optimus or a figure or whatever. And really that does it's disappear just the longest, too. It's the longest out on that uh, replacement curve. Yes. Right. Yeah. So for me personally, I mean, if you're asking me personally, like I would love to spend my time just reading and thinking and and to the extent that, you know, like something like a chat GPT sort of thing, you know, I would utilize that. I can get a lot more thinking done um, faster and fit more into my limited lifespan that way. But I really enjoy that reading other people's stuff, absorbing ideas. Ideas are like sugar to me, like they give me a high mm -hmm. and discovering that dopamine those. Squirt. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I would like that. But not, neither would I like to be the rat in the cage. You know, we've talked about this before. If you could just plug in um, and, you know, to the expensive hardware and feel like you're in the matrix and, it, and that makes you happy, you get the dopamine. I'm sure at some point somebody's going to have some way to just tweak the dopamine thing for like ten dollars, you know? Yeah. Without plugging into Absolutely. all the stuff, and that's, that's like way that's, cheaper. That's why I use that, that, that analogy because it's yeah. it's coming. That's coming too. You know, our uh, engineered psychopharmaceuticals, whatever fentanyl. I mean, we saw the progression in our lifetimes of drugs that are so intense now and so addictive mm -hmm. that it's now killing 100,000 people a year. Yeah. I mean, if that's not an early warning flag, I don't know what is. Drugs yeah. aren't going to get worse. Right. We're going to get better at figuring out how to yeah. addict and stimulate. And, right. Uh, and and everybody does that, you know. Media, TVs, movies. That's right. It's a, that's all a drug, too. Addict. I mean, yeah. your Twitter feed, your yeah. YouTube feed. Yeah. How do I addict them and keep them here longer? Yeah. So, I mean, what what is the ultimate um reversal of all of that like if if you don't have to work and you you know you've got it's enough the amish baby is that is that the thing like being out in the sunlight be I outside be, i used to be super critical uh of the amish and and as i've gotten older you know i'm a techno optimist i'm, a, I'm an engineer and and i think i've always there is so much you people have a hard time thinking i think in equations there's there's two sides of an equal sign you know, something happens, there's benefits and there's costs. And I focused for, you know, a lot of pessimists will focus on just this side. And for years and years, I focused on only how great things and by all materialistic measures, things are so much better, right? Right. Than ever. We, when I was a kid, famine in Africa was constant. Hmm. Like millions of people died all the time. And now, you know, at that time, I think 50% uh, of the world lived in extreme poverty. So that's under $2 a day, maybe. Mm -hmm. And now it's like only 10%. That's yeah. in my lifetime. So on the materialistic measure, not dying, that's pretty right. big. Yeah. You know, that's got, a great, yeah. that's got a great outcome. You know, engineered drugs and addiction, that's a bad side. And if you don't honestly talk about both sides of that that equation, I think you're you're missing right. You're missing something. But see, now you're talking about um, tech that 
basically brings about or enhances human flourishing. You could bucket it as human flourishing. flourishing. But if I that's feel, materialistic flourishing? Well, no. Well, yeah. I mean, like, being being alive. You said being alive is a good thing. Yeah. Okay, so tech that enables you to, you know, be, be alive. Because the second, you know, it's, it's not at all um, proven to be the case that if you could upload your memory into the digital space that you're still alive. It's Maybe it's just an archive. It doesn't have any, you know ability to think or maybe it's a simulated thing it's more of like an effective uh you know consciousness or something but but that's not proven that that is consciousness and that that is going to be eternal life and even if it was quote unquote digital eternal life you know still the server can get wiped out by the solar flare you know like yeah um humans remain limited let me push back on that so a server can get wiped out by the solar flare i can be wiped out by a tsunami right does that mean i'm not alive no that doesn't mean i'm not alive so yeah terminating it i don't think is proof of um well so just to back up a little bit before we come back to that so you can have two different trajectories for the future and one is an a view that's uh optimistic for humans for humanity and one is optimistic about just the pure technology and so if we get to a point where yeah. we and this is a discussion we've had. Like, where's the line between a human and a transhuman? Like, you already use Google. Is that just a tool or is it baked into you? What about when it's the neural link and it's like in you and where's your red line? You know, but eventually if if you become a cyborg, let's say, in a meaningful way, um, you know, and then everyone, you know, collectively decides or just happens because that's the direction that, that the AI is headed or whatever. We get to a post-human reality. That's not really anything at all, then, you know, because the the, the humans are gone. Not for us. That's yeah. not human not flourishing, humans. right? And yeah. these are the these are things I think nobody outside of a few tight yeah. tech circles have really thought of. Yeah. So human flourishing. I I, I like. Now you're a speciesist. I'm a speciesist, right? <laughs> yeah. For the listeners, that's Larry Pages. I think he said that to Page, Musk. Pages, they call him. Musk is like, yeah, well, I don't know if we want robots to replace us, basically, right? And he's basically. Like, well, you're a you're really, yes. You're, yes. Uh, yeah. Why would you want to put yourself out of existence? Yeah. You know, someone might say, well, it's better if, if every, you know, like a, would you want a machine that can do all these calculations and whatever, you know, over a human? But I don't want to. I don't want to not live. I don't want to cease to be. Right. You know. Or have your errors cease to be. Right. 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 Yeah. Right. It's 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 deep talk. It's coming. We better be thinking about it. I think yeah. about it once in a while. And like I say, I think uh, I think people will choose their lines. I think they're probably involuntarily choosing lines now. Yeah. Or, or uh, unknowingly, maybe. Yeah. Um, well, can we do this? Yeah. You can you just give everybody that's watching who maybe is just catching up. They're not really a technical person. Give them a picture of like what AI is. Like when someone says AI, I know that uh, people might have heard of things like machine learning sure. or like conversational AI. Can you just encapsulate for somebody from who's starting from scratch? Sure. So, so it's the mid '80s. I write my first neural network, and it was you know maybe less than a. 10, 20 neurons. Um, and what that is, it's like the way the brain is wired, you have, you have neurons and you have dendrites and, you know, synapses and the fire and this kind of cascading matrix of firing creates decisions and thoughts and so forth. And the way computers really work is it's very binary traditionally. It's like you have, you know, if then statements, if this, then that, you know, and it's all yes, no type of decisions and with 
Machine learning, it's the attempt to try to uh, categorize or create kind of fuzzy logic. So I look at that. Is that a B or is that an 8? Those are very similar. Mm. Now, traditionally in computers, we just you couldn't do anything like that, right? A human can still kind of kind of try and classify that. Mm-hmm. So um, machine learning was, you know, it, 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 there was a nuclear winner for decades. You know, there's, the, there's this like theoretical talk about how to do it maybe in the 80s, late 70s and 80s. Uh, 90s spent most of the time um, not getting anywhere because we just didn't have the processing power to, to really create something useful. You needed incredible processing power. Um, and there were some maybe some breakthroughs that weren't there yet. There's a guy named Jeffrey Hinton out of Canada, professor who made a breakthrough about dropping connections once in a while randomly and, you know, a little more erratic like mm-hmm. human physiology. Um, but then over the last 10, 15 years, we've made just incredible uh, breakthroughs with processing power and um, uh, it allowed us to, to train on more data you know, train that neural net. So the way a simple neural net works, like I was talking about, you'd make, you'd feed in a bunch of B's and a bunch of eights. And then at the bottom, you'd reward it with when I want to, you only find the number eights. And so you'd feed in these B's and nope, you don't get a reward. And you feed in an eight, hey, you get a reward, congratulations. And so it would slowly weight its little neurons mm-hmm. appropriately so it could tell what it was. Um, but that was the limit. Now we're to the point where you can feed the models, take not five bits, 10, you know, eight bits, 16 bits, whatever it is, but they take billions, almost we're up to a trillion now, parameters. We train on, you know, big chunks of the entire internet. So like all of mankind's knowledge push through there. And what we're really, people think about AI now is more of uh, generation and predictive. So it's not classification, you know, that's one area of AI, but prediction and generation. So it's like if I feed you all the Shakespeare books and then I tell you some words in a sequence, there is probabilistically a likelihood that the next word is something. You know, it's definitely not automobile. Right. Zero percent it's automobile. Yeah. Because there was no automobile. And so that prediction allows it to create text, now images, videos just starting. Um, And it's... It's definitely more akin to the way humans, and there's a lot of debate about uh, the neuronal doctrine, how our neurons work, and if mm-hmm. it's so simple as we think it is. Um, but from a cursory glance, neural networks, large language models, AI, is working the way the human brain works. And consequently, when you use them, they're fuzzy, right? Mm-hmm. You'll, I, I still, I'm still staggered by this. I'll, I'll ask it maybe a development question or something. It'll get it wrong, or it could be a simple question like you know king of england at a certain point he gets it wrong and you're like no i don't think that's right you chat back to it i don't think that's right it's like oh you're right i'm sorry it's actually this it's like okay if you knew that why didn't you say that the first right. time it's just like a person yeah right that's the way people respond yeah um so it's definitely artificial intelligence is more i say akin to the way humans think yeah Okay, that, I think that'll be helpful for people to kind of get yeah, a, maybe. an outlay. And it's it's only, again, it's exponential. So the, yeah. the implications of this exponential growth curve is that, you know, we can debate this, but let's just say that we can create AGI, artificial 
general intelligence. And for, which, for the listeners that don't know, is basically there's, there's can, a debate over what that yeah, means. It, it but It can do as much as a person. Or right? more. Or more. Smarter right? than a person. It doesn't have to be... More capable than a yeah, person. Yeah, it doesn't have... I don't think it has to be... 100% at everything. It just has to be more capable. And I, I, would, um, I would almost argue we're, we're almost there. Right. But so you could, it can take the bar exam and outperform a human, for instance. Yeah. 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 And there's, there's great, uh, it'd be interesting to pull it up, but there's great graphs that show just from GPT-3 and 3.5 and 4 from OpenAI in the last 24 months, how on like... 30 or 40 measures, we have now passed human capability, human averages, 50% average on the bar exam, the GMAT, uh, medical exams, you know, all these things where it's now better than the average human. Now, remember, most people thinking about these topics probably don't fall in the average. Right. You know, they might be in the upper 10%. I don't know. Now, let me ask you this. I want to phrase this. Okay. So there's humans and there's AI and there's humans that use AI and that's you could almost say it's kind of like a superpower in a way. And you know, you could you could have different combinations of this, right? If everybody has the AI, then it's almost like nobody has the AI. And it's almost like we're just humans anyways, once again, because it's a level playing field. Like if everyone's Iron Man, nobody's Iron Man. Yeah, but I can still fly. <laughs> you can still fly. Yeah, you can still fly. But everyone can fly. So you know, coming back to that well, rarity. It, again, it depends on how you gauge things. A lot of the things we gauge are relative. Right. It's like you, you find there's a great experiment, the monkeys in the cage on a rhesus monkeys and they're feeding this one. I don't know, you know, oats or something. And he's really happy. Right. And they're feeding him oats. And then the cage next to him and they're kind of at a right angle so they can see each other. The researcher gives this guy grapes. OK. At the same time, the first monkey who is happy with his oats sees the grapes, guy getting grapes, and he throws the oats down right. and then he starts yelling. He wants the grapes. He was happy yeah. until he's not because he sees right. something. So if you're gauging things relatively, then yes. I think there's some activities, though, that you, you're you just happy doing without mm-hmm. comparing to other people. Yeah. I think comparing is a cognitive, cognitively bad thing because people sit around all day seeing what they don't have and then just desiring that materialism for no point. Yeah, but see, now, let's say I'm you know somebody with a lot of resources and maybe i live uh in a certain country over in europe and i bring everyone into a worldwide conference and uh i'm like hey you know as long as we give these people out there the peons uh the impression that they can have it all virtually then maybe that leaves room for me to have all of what's here in reality you know to have you know like everything can be manipulated and there's a vector where that's not good, <laughs> the things you're describing, in a way. It could, yeah. it could be used for wrong if, oh, yeah. by somebody at the top who had the power and the intentions. So we've been talking about some pretty heavy stuff. Like uh, on the day-to-day, what have you seen you know, in the last month or so that is exciting you from an AI perspective? Mm. It, it, it's just pervasive. You know, The whole embodied AI, which is this the idea of taking some of this AI like ChatGPT or Llama or Google's and putting it into a machine so that it can do things for us. Mm-hmm. That's um, I was teaching a class and I was showing um, uh, Aloha. Google with maybe Stanford um, just a few weeks ago released a video of them. They made just a skeleton robot. So it's like, you know, square mm-hmm. pipes. 
So really not a human looking thing at all, but gave it two arms. And then they taught it to do household activities like cook shrimp, do the laundry, fold, clean off the counter, etc. Yeah. Right. So this ugly looking machine ambling through the kitchen and, and doing these things. But what they found is that 20 to 50 iterations of humans showing it, it could then do it. Like per task. Per task, yeah, yeah. So it could, it could. This is how I clean a table. I lift the glasses. I wipe the rag. And the idea is that, unlike, like I said, this is artificial intelligence. Unlike the old days, where it could do that, and it's been doing it in Detroit forever. If it was exactly the same every time, mm-hmm. if that car comes here and the seam is here, I can weld to the spot. But if it's different, it has no idea. That's what artificial intelligence is allowing. But the point being, when uh, I showed that. You know, several of the students were like, I want that, right? Because you can think mm-hmm. about there's things that we do that we probably have to do that we'd rather not, we'd sure. rather be doing something else. So I think there's benefit there. But yeah, my son talks a lot about adversity defines us. And if and you don't yeah. have adversity, then yes. it's a bad future. And isn't that just another way of saying limits? Like, you know, limits define us. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting. On the robotic front, is that so proprietary that like uh, whatever robot you're describing, could its knowledge be transferred to something like an optimist or a figure or um, is okay. that not, does that not play? Because, you know, an LLM, it's a language based system and arguably everything's translatable into language, whether it's vision or Wi-Fi or math or, you know, so how much of that is compatible? Yeah. Um so that's the thing about the whole technology, right? So the marginal cost of the intelligence has become zero. Once you have trained, you know, ChatGPT, for example, it's not open. So it, let, let's take uh, uh, Facebook released, released a model called Llama, artificial intelligence model, large language model. And the cost to duplicate that is almost zero. So it, it took them probably, shoot, I don't know, Llama might have been $50 million to train. Um but I can give it to you for the cost of, you know, maybe an SD card of 10 bucks. Yeah. That's, that's different than anything we've had in the past. Right. And so, you know, the, the thing about Tesla's self-driving, for example, <clears throat> as it's gotten better and better, you know, it might be approaching where it's almost as good as people. Mm-hmm. But the point is it learns, we learn to drive and we have, you know, whatever – few hundred thousand miles under our belt in our cars and that's the only experience we have it has Hmm. millions and millions and it all shares so it it learns every edge case that could ever have happened that you and i haven't encountered and if it happens to us we're on we're on eisenhower pass in colorado and this thing happens we've never experienced that yeah we might respond right we might respond poorly it has experienced that. It's seen what happens in all the outcomes, mm-hmm. and it chooses the right one, and it prop- propagates to all the cars. That's interesting. So that's that's yeah. an exciting thing, right? I mean, there to me, yes. there's a lot. Of, like I say, I'm a techno optimist. There's a lot of excitement. There's you can't you can't close your eyes, and I think a lot of the tech community closes their eyes to the negatives, mm-hmm. and then you get you know luddite type people. Um, my wife might be one of them. Um, who we can't use any technology because it's all bad. Right. Right. No, you can't deny that there's good and bad. I, I think yeah. if you're doing that, you're just intellectually dis- dishonest. Yeah. And then you also get into definitions of good and bad as well. That's a whole other um, topic. Yes. Another podcast. Yeah. Now <laughs> that brings up, so, so the Tesla 
um, having had all these different experiences on all the roads all over you know the planet, whereas you couldn't. This brings up something really interesting. It's part of what makes a human a human. It's one of our fundamental limits as far as I'm concerned. I want to get your take on it. And that is that we're mono-experiential. I don't even know if there's an actual word for it. That's a good word. Yeah. Um, but we can experience one stream of experience at a time. Yeah. So even though, even if we have, you know, the simulation or, you know, you, you strap on Apple Vision Pro or whatever and it's one-to-one, it's great. You have to pick a simulation to be in. It's been your time. You have, you have a fixed resource of time. Yeah. That's your, atten- your attention is another resource. So, yeah. I mean, what do you make of that? You're talking about the Tesla and you compare and contrast that well, to a human. we're limited. We do right. have those limits. and. And that's there's there's actual measurements I can't remember you know you you synthesize so many bits of information through your eyes so many bits of and it's it's very limited when you think about it mm-hmm. and that's um, this is what Musk is doing with Neuralace is putting the chip right inside trying to increase that ability you know uh, ostensibly it's about helping people with paralysis and things like that in the beginning yeah. um, I think he openly admits that's not the long-term goal. Sure, yeah. Um, that's a good way to sell it to people. Yeah. yeah, and and I've had those thoughts. I've had those thoughts that if I could have my, you know, my phone or my database connected and it could help me remember things. Um, right. You know, you learn so much, you forget so much, um, that that would be nice. But yeah. that's where these choices come. We're yeah, people are, and I don't think a lot of people have yet thought about it until the commercial comes out or the tiktok ad and they're like oh well and what happens i think it's like the frog being boiled alive you know we're slowly raise the temperature and he doesn't jump out yeah um i think that happens to us so i'm i don't watch a lot of tv i don't know in the last couple months i've seen some episodes that were had commercials mm-hmm. i haven't seen commercials for years and you know and i'm shocked because i haven't seen it for so long i'm shocked by what they're showing yeah, you know, the drugs, the things that they're they're showing. The, the Overton window has changed so much. Yeah, remind me of the Overton yeah. window. Um, it's just what's socially acceptable yeah. to be discussed. Yeah, yeah, and that can shrink and it changes over well, time. And so, what I wonder is, you know, it does it go? Does it go? Is the introduction such that we all end up, you know, dopamine squirting cyborgs, and you know, because it happened and we just didn't even realize it. Nobody yeah. thought about it. Yeah, that's why I think it's important to. I think it's really yeah. important to, to dwell on it and think about what what is real life. I remember a uh, colleague, he was a CFO, and he confided in me multiple times. He, he wanted to stop and be a plumber. He just wanted the hands-on. He wanted to feel like he was doing something real. Mm-hmm. And this was 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, I'll bet more of that happens. Yes, and I'm positive that people will seek out real humans when, you know, they'll, they'll – I, I, you know, you – Play the best video game, you know, for a while. You'll get sick of it, right? And then there's another one, but you'll get, you know, like, and there's something about when you talk about reality and the limits, I think, the fundamental limits do spell out for us some of where that is to the extent that we can detect it. I I personally view being limited as not a bad thing. I think that's where all the meaning comes from in life. Do you pursue activities to try and experience Band your we we won't call them limits then we'll call them thresholds do you mm-hmm. do you try to exp- you know what I mean yes like I, you're trying to expand your knowledge yes I right? think you there is benefit to going past the thresholds in certain areas from a from a monetary perspective I think there's capital to be grabbed by going past certain thresholds right and maybe there's also you know there's social capital if you don't go talk to a person you're not going to get any of the benefit of of having that relationship, you know? So, so yes, I, I don't think that that's inherently a bad thing, but 
but also that that's why I look at what are the limits and for the things that are thresholds, like you have to have a framework for deciding what should be done versus yeah. what could be done. That's and now you're getting into ethics and morality. But yeah, the limits for me are foundations rather than restrictions, the actual limits. And I think that that's a good thing. What are the implications on ca- of economics and capitalisms and income? You know, if half the people lose their jobs, you know, if we if we think about uh, introduction of cars, it replaced all the carriages and horse and carriage makers and horses, but it opened mm-hmm. up jobs for cars, right. makers, manufacturers, Henry Ford. The jobs were replaced. I don't think they'll be replaced here. I yeah. really don't. So and can so capitalism be the engine that keeps innovation churning in a good way for, for human flourishing? Is that the question? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Does, it, does capitalism continue? So we have labor um, and capital, and labor's going away, mm-hmm. right? And capital ostensibly will increase. The proportion of the output of GDP will be more capital-based than labor-based. Yeah. Is that – does everything still work? Or? Well, let me ask you this. Do you feel like um, classical capitalism is even a, something that's in existence right now? And, and the reason I ask that, mm-hmm. do, you, do you think that there's a, actually a free market at play in America right now? Because we have well, this – Some things there are. But we have this stakeholder capitalism coming along where you know it's not the capitalism of before where companies are trying to make profits. Yeah. They're becoming socially driven. People are getting on the boards to drive social agendas rather than profits. You know, if the profits can be created and therefore that benefits society, even though people it, it also creates inequality, which people don't like, um, even if the bottom one percent ends up much better than they were, you know, centuries in the past, there's still going to be that inequality, you know. So I, I don't know. Does a free market actually exist right now? I think it in some areas. Sure. There, there's there's a, there, it's not as free as uh, Singapore, um, but yeah. it's I would say it's still somewhat free you know we compete yeah. for our dollars uh you know restaurants if you think about the basic human necessities uh-huh. they're regulated a lot of them the fda or you know zoning departments for housing it's ostensibly the best they have to they have to increase the quality of the product or decrease the price to get our money right and they they do that and they compete and bad restaurants close because they're terrible yeah or you know well, you don't use a housing developer next time. You know. Yes. Okay. So I think I think it'd be interesting to to talk as a kind of a cornerstone to this conversation. You know, you talk about free market, but what about the free marketplace of ideas? I think that is under threat of going away. Uh-huh. And if you don't have that, you can't have the other. Well, you, can't the actual, science, you can't have science. You can't have anything. No, nothing can. Yeah. You know, if you can't have the free market of ideas liberty, in the first place, can't have liberty. Yeah. Yeah. So we're kind of chopping off free speech, the First Amendment, right? Is that yeah. Like the, the first one. Yeah. Right. By if you're going to censor, you know, the speech and therefore the ideas that are expressed through the speech, you're also going to end up censoring innovation in a way. Um, yeah. Oh, we there's there's no question we slow things down. You know, I've thought about this for. For many years, the FDA, all that does is create, that's that's government-granted monopolies is what that right. is, right? All it does is slow down innovation. Yeah. And I think, you know, my uh, mother-in-law died of Alzheimer's. And I, I thought for a long time, if we, you know, the few decades prior, had we not had such tight regulations, we would be so, we'd probably have solved that. You know, there's so many things that we probably would have solved. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in your in your perspective, um you, you were telling me, maybe you can explain a little bit more, like the regulations don't end up actually working 
anyways. Like they don't do what they're <laughs> no, supposed to, right? No, no. Explain that for people. I, I had a good friend, executive of uh, one of the largest banks uh, in the country, and um, so Dodd Frank. Dodd Frank came out, and he's like, they think they think they can outthink us. We pay people millions of dollars to come up with ways around this stuff, and that sounds predatory and terrible. But it's really not. I mean, they have to make a profit otherwise. So, you know, one of their primary vehicles is giving credit to people, right? And people want credit. I want my car now rather than saving up for three years because so I don't have to walk for three years. And that's a good thing. And the more readily available credit is to everyone, you know, you can argue. That's another debate. Mm. Um, but we can argue that that's a decent thing. Well, the effect of the regulations were that they were going to they had to stop giving credit to lower income people and, right. and it's it's like and he's like but so we're, here's what we're going to do we're just going to charge higher fees on these products that will subsidize this and you know and so i think the regulations they hurt everybody they cause inefficiencies and the intent may be good but i think you just have to look at both sides of the equal sign again there's yeah. there's there's a cost well it's funny because it's sort of a conversation about can you trust a company or a person? Can you trust them? And then you're talking about, well, who decides, you know, what's trustworthy yeah. and what's not? Because on the free market model, it's like you put it out there and if it's good, you know, it will resonate. That's right. Um, but somebody else might come along and say, well, I don't want that out there and I have the power to stop that. And we can't trust people with either certain information yeah. or certain, you know, and so it does. But there's no check on that power. That's right. You know, I mean, the, the founders try to really figure that out. It's like, hey, people are bad. We came from King James or whoever it was. Uh, people are bad. We need to really regulate. You know, they were, you go into uh, Montpelier, uh, Madison's Montpelier, his home, uh, where he actually drafted the Constitution. And you look at his library, I stood in the room and I looked at his books in the library and he sat, he took a whole summer and just sat and studied all of the, the governing, governing documents from history back to the Greeks. And he thought about all this, and they got together, and they figured they they iron they hammered this out. And the, the basic acknowledgement is people people have can be go bad, so we need to limit the power they have on everyone else. The market does that naturally. If McDonald's goes bad and starts putting cyanide in their hamburgers, they they fail. It's gone. Right, people right. switch over. Yeah, we don't have the right to bow out a social contract easily in the United States. I can't like. You know, if I'm born into a regular family, all of a sudden I can't decide I'm going to go live in France. That's not easy. It's costly. There's you right. know, a lot of friction to that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I'm a, I'm a big proponent of capitalism. I worry about its its future here and does it function in this world where not only muscles are replaced but brains are replaced. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I think there's a segment of the population thinking about this stuff, thinking about the future, and they would be very happy to outsource all everything to a super intelligent AI. And they, I think that they think, you know, capitalism will get us there or some form a hybrid capitalism, whatever. And the consequences don't really matter. Let's accelerate, let's get there and let the AI just handle everything. Yeah. What, what's your take on that? Two takes. They might be wrong, but it's going to happen anyway. Uh, we, we can't, I really think we can't slow down. I don't think we, I mean, I suppose Okay, let me let me say we shouldn't slow down. So I was just contradicting myself. The FDA, I think, definitely slowed down medical research. You know, it costs whatever, millions of dollars to bring a drug to market so they don't target small markets. So if I'm a guy who has a rare disease, tough. The government just screwed me. 
mm-hmm. right? Because they can inf- invest in in all the human trials and stuff to right. do my thing. Um, so yes, they can slow it down. But the problem is, if we slow down AI, you know, China's not going to. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the best open source large language models is uh, Falcon out right. of United Arab Emirates. Yeah, what are we thinking? Yeah, I mean, it's going to happen. And if it's if if we aren't as smart, if our if the if the music stops and our AI, AIs aren't as smart as China's, uh, I think that's a bad position to be in. So I'm 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 against you know a lot of the people Musk, a lot of people are for regulating AI. I think it's a mistake. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, Danny, so you mentioned Musk and regulation. So let me say something that I think is a is a notion that Musk had, and that is that people die, but laws don't. And you almost need a a expiration yeah. date Sun, for sunset, laws. Cl- sunsets. Yeah. yeah, because otherwise you'll just keep regulating things into the future and you won't be able to do anything. I, I got to tell you a story on that. I have a business partner who um, was with the Department of Energy under Clinton. And he set up a program, I'm trying to recall, maybe I won't go into specifics. It might be too uh, revealing. But he set up a program and he did it, uh, you know, with all good intentions and but the only way he could do it was within within, within this framework that automatically sunsetted in 24 months. Hmm. So in his mind, good thing. We only need this temporarily for this situation. Yeah. So he set it up. He ran in what's that? Clinton 90s, 94 probably. So we're like you know 30 years out. He ran into a woman in that department. The program is still alive. 30 years later hmm. and she said something like yeah we're on our 180th report wow and it's like a totally yeah. useless functioning piece of the bureaucracy right. and that's probably one of you know thousands it's just baked in yeah so sunsetting yeah, yeah but then, then back to the problem i think you know government government gets too powerful and and it's not that it's may not have good intentions i think often it doesn't but yeah even if it does you can't concentrate power like that. It's right. It'd be a diffuse market action, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And especially with AI, you know, I've sort of thought of AI, you know, getting AI, the right kinds of AI into certain people's hands. It's like um, sort of like uh, arming them from a knowledge perspective. Yeah. Because if you don't have access to accurate, truthful information, um, you know, you can be manipulated really easily. Yeah. And and so you're talking about the government, you know, the, the government is trying to regulate AI right now. They got some stuff cooking. And I think I brought this up. So if they're trying to limit some, you know, here, here's a hard limit on compute power, you know, for people working in AI. Now, how, how would it, somebody get around that? You know, it's not like it's going to just stop yeah. AI things. I mean, someone splits their company into three, you know, pieces and 33% here, 33%, you know. I say it's like the, uh, you know, when poker, online poker started on the Internet. Early 2000s, we put laws against it, and all that we did is put our servers on the Isle of Man or in the in the Cayman Islands. I mean, mm-hmm. big deal. It still happened. Yeah. It didn't. All it did was make that money not flow to us. Yeah, and it's, you know, and, and it, that that doesn't mean you shouldn't have laws against nefarious activities. I, I think you you definitely should. But you got you got if one thing, it should be pushed down to a local level. We can't have people. 2,000 sure. miles from us deciding how to farm when, you yeah, know, I'm, uh, I'm all on board with, with yeah. that, the localization. Yeah. Yeah. People, people for a long time, I've, uh, people have debated, you know, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty, uh, conservative on this economic front and people debated me talking about how well Sweden and the, the Norwegian countries do. 
and it wasn't until you know a few years ago that I discovered that it's almost all local level there. So while they mm. might they might have an effective tax rate of 55, 60%, it's pushed down to, to local level. Mm-hmm. So almost everything happens. Therefore, people use the money more wisely. There's accountability. I walk next door and I knock on my di- mayor's door because that's where most of the spending's happening. And we and so it's it's interesting, you know, if we're it's again, if the free market is diffusion amongst all players, yeah. Federal government is concentration in one. Mm-hmm, then mm-hmm. at least local levels is a smaller number. There's there's a rumor I haven't been able to substantiate it, but Jefferson had um, in some of his letters he realized pretty quickly that states were too large mm. to govern. So they they wanted just states to have the, almost all the power. Mm. Right? Federal government to have small power, right. states to have some power, or the rest of the power. And he realized that's not pushed down far enough. So he wanted to get it to almost all the powers happening in like mm. counties, small yeah. units. So that's. I think that was interesting. That's interesting. And, and you know, just uh, like top level, if the government is trying to regulate AI, let's say, I mean, is that nothing other than like wanting to retain the most powerful AI for themselves, you know, because they're not limiting <laughs> it, themselves. It might be. Like you can't, yeah, how do you know, right? Some of them are selfish, unaltruistic people. Yeah. I talked to a guy who ran a, a Senate campaign and he, I asked him, he'd been around Capitol Hill for 20 years. And I asked him, what percentage of lawmakers up there, you know, congressmen, are altruistic? They're actually up there trying to do their best for us. You know, and in my head, I'm thinking, I wonder if it's like 50-50. He said, it's probably like 98% not. Yeah, I was going to say closer to zero. (laughs) Yeah, like two out of 100 being good people. Well, that's bad. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Yeah. But that's why somebody would would argue for like, well, let's just stick the AI in charge of everything and let it optimize. But again, it learned on bad people. Right. Bad text. I mean, we've all looked up answers on Quora or Reddit or, you know, comments on a CNN article. And it's trained on that, mm-hmm. right? So I don't know if I'm going to trust it that much. I mean, even yeah. OpenAI now uh, has a disclaimer under their uh, their input box saying, hey, it can be wrong. Check us. Right. <laughs> well, I think C.S. Lewis had a – I think it was Lewis that had a quote that said something like, you can't get the odds from what is. And so even if you're – if that applies, if you yeah, want to see what that that's applies, awesome. you know, the AI – has access to everything that is, but you're still not going to be able to derive the ought yeah. from it, because, just like a human yeah. can. It has access to what the humans cool. have access to. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have a saying that uh, came up with a long time ago that, uh, and maybe I borrowed it from someone else, but uh, science is answering how and religion is answering why. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, you gotta do, those, are, those two things are separate things, and we often conflate them and put them all together or, or think we can derive the why from the how. And I don't yeah. think so. Yeah, I think so. That's fascinating to, to see how that plays out. And and like we talked about before, on the ethics side of things, nobody sat there and took a poll of humanity and said, "Should we develop AI?" Yeah, you know, it's it just happened. It's going to to happen. And I mean, it's it's thrust upon humanity. It's here for better or worse. It's here. Make the best of it. Yeah, and make intentional choices. I suppose even if for you your, for your own life. That's right. Even if you don't like it. Yeah. I mean, it's you're still going to have to deal with it. Yeah. And if you don't use it, other people are going to use it. You're going to have to make decisions for yourself. You're going to have to make decisions for your kids, um, right. how to teach them about it. And like I said, maybe more people will be in these um, Amish-type communities where they draw their line. Or okay, you want to opt out. It's the end of screens. I opt out. Right? Yeah. Will the cyborgs leave those p- people alone, you think? 
Yeah. Will the AI allow that? <laughs> I don't know. If they aren't a threat, you know, we're, we're pretty, we've been pretty tolerant of the Amish over years, right? Yeah. I, they don't seem to be a threat to anyone. But now, see, it, I, I think as, on a serious level, if you've baked Malthusian principles into the AI that yeah. ends up taking over, yeah. they may Logan, say, hey, we need that plot of land. <laughs> Logan's Run. Did you ever read or see Logan's I, Run? I don't think I did, no. Logan's Run was a uh, science fiction novel from the 70s. can't remember the author. premise was there were these people called Sandmen, Sandmen hmm. and they were police. Um, and their job was to hunt down and kill people who did not voluntarily die when they were 21 because you you know the cult of youth interesting and it was the society a computer ran it were these bubble dome cities and um the computer ran it all and it was optimized for the front you know death squads yeah. <laughs> literally what I, I don't know who came up with that sarah palin or someone talking about death squads um yeah so if the malthusian take is that we have limited resources then you got to decide who's going to get them you know, who's yeah. a drag on society and who's productive. And it's kind of funny that some of the people who do have the Malthusian perspective are also some of the same people that are pursuing, you know, like transhumanist stuff, um, digital afterlife, uh, because the fact that everyone does have a lifespan and dies, that sort of frees up space for other people on the way. Right, <laughs> you know, right. And so if, if nobody ironic. died... <laughs> it's ironic. Yeah, yeah it, in a way it is. I think at this point people, I don't know, like your take, have in my mind, it seems like people have kind of abandoned that. It was big in the you know '80s, especially the '70s, '80s, that overpopulation, starvation, food production—that equation didn't work, and so we have to do something. And it, you know, what they did not anticipate, nobody antici ever anticipates, is the progression of capitalism. You know, exponential rise in crop yields. Yeah. You know, the ability that now one acre instead of feeding one person can feed five people. Yeah. You know, that's a huge jump. All of a sudden, we can have five times as many people on the planet. Surprise. Yeah. Uh, I think the answer is, you know, like climate change is that's different new, from yeah. like climatism. And you could, you know, whatever, whatever the thing is, like there's the thing and then there's the narrative around it and they're different. Again, I, I, we're sort of like dancing around the idea of like the WEF and kind of the unelected people like making decisions for everybody and whether that's people or AI or AI controlled by those people, you know, um, so I would make that distinction, I think. Yeah. You yeah. saw Melee uh, speech? I did. Yeah. That was funny. Powerful. By the way, speaking of AI, did you see like he where he had a translator? Yeah. And did you see the AI I translation? I did see that. Yeah. Yeah. So my the first one I saw was the uh, translator, which is the yeah. way we've done it for, you know, forever. Uh, and then I think Musk actually tweeted out a version or retweeted a version with an AI dubbing. Uh -huh. And it's Melee's voice. Right. And it's in English. And it was impressive it was well uh, i would say it's a simulation of his voice right it's not his vocal cords no, you no, know no, like but correct. it's just a, yeah. yeah if you want to be technical yeah. no, but no, this no, brings no. up the the thing i see this on on x all day long you know people are like you can't believe your eyes anymore now no deep true. fakes obviously um and but but you know you can't hear soon yeah. yeah you can't deny that that could be useful that technology obviously mm -hmm. um but how does that play into the things that we've been talking about here? If you truth can't believe, yeah. But what is what, what is, is truth? truth? What is reality? You know, yeah. we're back to that conversation. Yeah. Can is is whatever you perceive is that truth? You know, if you perceive Malay speaking in no. English or whatever your language is, I hope not. I hope there's a ground truth. I believe yeah. personally, I believe there's although, a ground truth. Yeah, although in that situation, there's a 
there's like an underlying current of like the information that was that he intended to say, whether, you know, the Dutch version or the English version, you know, they're all saying it's like the same underlying thing. So, you know, you hope the visual they, representation, unless someone edits that and then he's right. saying the wrong thing and, and they manipulate. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's a scary, that's the negative side of that equation. And it's, that's a scary future. I yeah. Hate. In that case, everyone could be living in their own personal version of a war of a world's sort of situation. I think that yeah, Scott Adams, you ever follow yeah. Scott Adams? Yeah, uh, Scott Adams talks about two movies. There's uh, two screens, two movies going on. It's yeah. like the left sees this and the right sees this. And it's weird because it's the same reality, but there's two, you know, yeah. and that's that's absolutely happening. And it's probably only going to get worse. Right? Yeah. And it doesn't even have to be along political distinctions. I mean, it could right. be. No, any topic. Yeah. Yeah. Any topic, right. Which means that just uh, fractures the potential perceptions even it's, more. I find it it's so difficult. You and I have talked about uh, keto. I think you just started keto. Yep. Is that going well? Yeah. Yes. I'm really enjoying it, actually. Yeah. 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 It'd be interesting to see if you actually have entered keto, ketosis yet. So yeah. Fig- Let's fig- check back in on that, that next week, and I'll tell you. And yeah. you'll, be, you'll be surprised. Um, myself and people I've talked with who've done it, you know, you, you drop pounds quickly, just pours That's off. That's crazy. Um, that seems counterintuitive. It's totally counterintuitive. Yeah, but, but it's... Yeah, all the research I've seen. You don't store ketones, you know, you store glucose, you store glycogen, I guess it is, something like that, um, in fat cells. So if you only run your body off, your body can run off two fuels. If you only run it off this fuel, you can't get fat. Yeah. Um, So that's pretty interesting. Well, let's just take a little second, a break from the the tag and like, let's talk about the keto real quick. Because you've been doing that and you sort of uh, told me a little bit about some of the benefits that you saw. Yeah. Why did you get into that? And why did I get into it? I was getting nauseous every afternoon. Um, And I grew up in the era, you know, you had super big gulps from 7-Eleven, Mountain Dew. (laughs) And so I burned out my pancreas pretty early. Mm unknowingly yeah i was living on a boat at the time and every afternoon i was i was getting the flu basically and it hit me one day I'm like i wonder if this is blood sugar this is before you know people thought much about it but i had a grandfather who had diabetes and he you know would have uh, insulin shock and all these things and so i took some sugar and i threw it under my tongue and i felt better like that hmm. it was like whoa this is blood sugar so i went to the doctor yeah you've got hypoglycemia reactive hypoglycemia you have sugar your body spikes, then it drops. And this is where you're feeling pretty, you know. And I was having levels that should have put me in a coma. So yeah. it was really bad. So I got off sugar, you know, tried to get off sugar. And then, you know, as as uh, Atkins and these guys came out and they're like, hey, carbohydrates, bread, flour, rice, they're like sugar. On the gly- They call it the glycemic index. It burns too quickly. Uh, your body can't use it. Your insulin has to flood. Your fat cells sop it up. You know, all this stuff. And so I started to uh, look more heavily at that. and But there was this whole embedded culture of fat is bad, mm-hmm. right? So what's your alternative other than carbs? You know, vegetables are carbs, but they, they're slower burning. But you have meat and fat, you know, meat, fat, and carbs, basically. Meat, protein, protein, fat, and carbs. And, but, you know, hey, fat's going to kill you. It's going to give you heart disease. So I, uh, you know, it's a long story, but I, I ended up, I was going to sail the Atlantic and I went in to get a heart scan because I grew up in Colorado and had red meat like every day of my life. And I thought, well, I don't want to have a heart attack on the ocean here. This would be bad for my family. Um, so I had a heart scan and no problem. Okay, so a few years later, uh, I went in for another heart scan and all of a sudden I had terrible heart disease. 
like 80 mm. percentile, like in a matter of 36 months. Right. So it's like, what's going on there? So I spent uh, a lot of time researching and came to the conclusion that inflammation drives all this. And I'm not, you know, this is Kurzweil. There's a lot of people who talk about this. Um, inflammation drives heart disease. It drives a lot of cancers and, um, you know, problems in your body. And inflammation is caused by metabolic disorder, which has a lot to do with your insulin levels and sugars and so forth. So right. again, another bell ringing, another confirmation. So I decided to kind of go full tilt, move toward keto, get off, you know, not all, almost all the way to meat, just pure meat. And my kids wanted to kill me because I didn't take statins like the doctors recommended. Mm-hmm. I just did this life change. And they're like, you know, you're going to kill yourself. And the best you can hope for with heart disease is to slow it down to about 20% growth per year. Yeah. And so my kids are, are all upset at me. And so I went in, got another scan, and I reduced it. I didn't slow the growth down. I reduced, I, I, hmm. I, I decreased my yeah. plaque in my arteries. That's crazy. Yeah. So, you know, a data set of one, a sample set of one, but I used to have had headaches probably two, three times a week. Migraines. Migraines. Yeah. Yeah. I had medicine for it. Gastrointestinal issues. That just all went away. That's crazy. Yeah. So I got rid of, uh, you know, pasta bread, two of my favorite things. Um, almost eat pure meat, heavy cream, fat. Yeah. And I don't crave much at all. No snacks. So you got rid of sugar too. Oh, Carbs yeah. and sugar. Yeah. So would you say it's sugar is carb. Straight is up carb. keto? Or is it, would you call it the carnivore diet, like the lion diet? What would you call it? Keto. I'm not, I'm not 100% hardcore. So like Christmas, I cheated all the time. Yeah. Just because. Did that really reset you though? Did you start craving it? Yeah. I did start craving it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the funniest thing. When you have some, it's almost a drug. Um, uh, There's a guy who wrote, a doctor who wrote a book called Wheat Belly. uh, And he talks, he shows the pathways that it is just sugar is just a drug. um, How it, how it affects the brain. Um, But for the most part. I just don't eat any sh- white white sugar, white rice, white flour, mm-hmm. which bread, pasta, sugar. Yeah. And you're not alone because you were talking about that, and I started doing some research on it. There's so many people, aside from the weight loss, um, who have had, like, better focus after switching to keto. Interesting. Um, or, you know, there's just, there's like, so many benefits. And yeah. I think it does affect people slightly different. Not everyone, I don't think, can do it, but but there's some really crazy things. Um, you know Jordan Peterson's uh, daughter story, Michaela. A little bit. She had arthritis yeah. or something. Like she had like right? terrible health. Like she like literally had like new ankles put in at fifteen or something crazy. Yeah. Like her, she was just a complete disaster, and she couldn't get you know best doctors couldn't get anything fixed, and she slowly figured out. She moved herself to what she calls a carnivore diet, mm-hmm. and it's actually only steak i think it's only red meat that's all she eats 100 interesting and now jordan peterson does the same yeah and you know she her health completely 180 degrees she's mm. perfect she's you know you can just you can see before and after pictures of her yeah it's a complete complete transformation so that's crazy I don't, I don't know if it's the right thing but it seems to be working in my case yeah did you if know? i die next week you can re- <laughs> i'll have the autopsy results <laughs> <laughs> um but please don't, since we're going to start up. Yeah, but did you know that the history of that, I think, wasn't keto sort of originally developed uh, to deal with schizophrenia? No. Did you know that? 
No, I think I ran into that information because... Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw something like that. Yeah, somebody, a doctor, somebody was interested in getting like the fasting benefits, uh-huh. but you can't just stop eating forever. Like yeah. it would it would help people not have seizures when right. they were fasted. Right, sugar um, led to seizures. Yeah, so so I think he sort of developed a keto diet in response to that. And then everyone yeah, sort of that. forgot about it. Yeah, I remember that because it was medicine. a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, it was easier to pop I re- some medicine. I read that story. Isn't yeah. that interesting? Yeah, it's it's, you know... Speaking of governmental power, I think uh, I think it was actually the government with the school lunch program back in the 70s or 80s, and they had these hearings, and you can go back and see video of these, and they were um, they're debating what to feed the kids, right? Mm-hmm. How to pay, what to feed them, et cetera. And they had scientists coming in, and some of the scientists are like, you know, basically this food pyramid, lots of grains, lots of carbs, you know, very little, very little... Uh, protein and fat and uh, some other scientists said there was evidence and there's a quote from the guy who and I think his name was McCarthy I don't know if it's the same McCarthy um, as the McCarthy hearings but decades later he said they chose what they chose because there was no evidence either way and they just had to choose one Hmm. and so the government chose this USDA food pyramid which we all got indoctrinated in in school yeah Uh, I remember Time Magazine had a cover with eggs and bacon Two yolks making the eyes and the bacon making a frowny Frown. face yeah. uh, omelet kind of thing and yeah. about how fat is bad and it's right. going to kill you and so forth. And it's just over this last, you know, 10, 20 years uh, that I think the science is getting pretty close to settled that no, fat does not kill you. Yeah. It's not bad. There's a lot of things you got to relearn as you ah. encounter it. Yeah. How To what extent, you know, does an AI, um, could it have helped you if you had the AI that we're building back on the boat, you know, and you had typed in all the stuff, could it have helped you get to where you got yourself quicker? Yeah, I was reading an anecdote um, from someone who used AI to diagnose a food allergy that the doctors couldn't do. Mm -hmm. And it was like, it was a miracle. Yeah. It was like, you know, all it did is he tracked his diet, put it in the AI, you know, pasted his journal in the AI and it said, hey, you have a sulfites problem Look at these days when you had these things that that has sulfites and this has yeah. caused you a problem. Interesting. And didn't, yeah. didn't Brian Rommel just publish um, some information about some strep throat detection? Uh, I didn't see that. I think he. I, I think the AI detected it like twelve hours before it presented with actual symptoms. Right. Huh. And he said he posted it. He said, "Here's the picture. Uh, they've been diagnosed with strep. I'll, I'll let you know what happens." And then it developed by, by symptoms or by I think it was a photo, kind of like the skin thing that you were talking okay. about earlier. Uh-huh. I'm pretty sure. Hmm. Um, I didn't actually read the all the details. Culture of the dish, maybe of the bacteria in the dish or something. <sighs> so, somehow it, it yeah. detected it, and it turned lot, out that lot it was of good uses. Yeah, we can't deny a lot of good uses. I think, unless my definition of good is not, you know, yeah. I'm I'm a conflicted person, right? I think there's ground truth. I think adversity is good, and yet I struggle to eliminate adversity. Right, but maybe that's part of living, you know. Like maybe that is the whole thing, you know. <laughs> yeah, good first episode. Absolutely. More to come. Weekly, Fun. weekly episodes uh, can be expected, more or less. You know, take yeah, the holidays off or whatever. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll put all the show uh, notes down below where you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, X, all of that information.